Join me and Art Date Social Club for a queer and BIPOC-friendly community that offers a safe space for artists and art lovers to connect about their craft, network with one another, and grow professional development skills. To become an official member, you can subscribe to the paid version of my Art Date Substack for only $10 a month. You can get access through this to all the paid content on my Substack, free access to the monthly online meeting groups, discounts to in-person meetings and workshops, as well as online ones, and access to the WhatsApp group for artists, which will have opportunities, skill sharing, and other networking goodies going on there. I started this group because over the holidays, I heard how isolated everybody was feeling and know that it's hard to find community, especially if you're living in a big city. And it's just nice to have people to check in with regularly learn new skills from and, you know, be able to take classes from people you trust and with people you trust in a safe space. If you, for some reason, want to test out the waters, I am currently offering weekly meetups online at meetup.com, and I will be updating that on the Eventbrite where I'm hosting all of these events. So you can check those out as well. You go to meetup and then search for our date social club. Members will also get first access to any retreats that we do. We are currently scheduling multiple one-day and weekend retreats in the Bay Area, Los Angeles, and possibly Joshua Tree, looking at Iceland. So it's going to be a really fun kind of global adventure, and members will definitely get first pick. We'll probably start kind of small. So if you want to get on the mailing list for that, you can just join up our Date Social Club If you, for some reason, do feel like you need some financial support but still want to be part of the community, you can just email me at artdatesocialclub at gmail.com, and I'm happy to offer subscriptions for people in need. So again, you can go to my Art Date Substack at artdate.substack.com forward slash subscribe. I'd really love for you to join me and just find inspiration and get our creativity flowing and help each other through this super weird lifestyle called being an artist. Anyway, hope to have you there. Thanks so much. I was also so shocked about just how miraculously the body is. Pregnancy was just, it was happening. It wasn't like I was doing anything. Mm -hmm. This baby was growing and that was mind blowing but then in birth and labor, it was kind of the same. Like I wasn't doing anything as like the body was taking over. And then afterwards, your body kind of just starts to heal itself in this miraculous way. This is Sarah Tebow, and I'm the host of the Side Woo podcast. Join me for conversations about mental health and metaphysical issues from the lens of living a more creative, fulfilling, and connected life. From the physical to the metaphysical and beyond, welcome to The SideWoo. Welcome back, SideWooers. This is Sarah. I have a couple of quick announcements first before we get started. I am excited to be part of a show at Eleanor Harwood Gallery called Pure Beauty, and I will be showing work with Tara Daly, Mary Finlayson, and Rachel Kay, and it'll be in Eleanor's new space downstairs at the Minnesota Street Project, 
So it's like a much bigger space and I will have three or four pieces in it. So if you are in town on February 3rd, please stop by and say hi. I will be there from 5 to 7 p.m. And I will also be having some shows coming up in April just to put in your calendar if you happen to be in the area. Um, I will be doing a solo booth with Dream Song Gallery at the Dallas Art Fair, um, and that is in early April. And then I will be doing a solo show at their gallery at the end of the month. And both these bodies of work are kind of connected and totally new. I haven't yet posted too much on Instagram. So if you want to get updates about them, you can follow me along on there, or you can subscribe to my art date Substack, and you will be getting updates and hearing all about it, I'm sure. But all right, let us get on to the episode. Per usual, I'm super excited because I have guests and adorable couple, Lindsay Tully and Lana Williams. And I have known Lindsay and Lana ever since we played um, softball together on the infamous Bat Panatar team. And this was a team that was made up of like a lot of artists and designers after graduate school. And we would all play slow pitch softball and some people were more casual than others. I would consider myself guilty of not being as chill maybe as I should have been. But, uh, you know, when you played fast pitch softball and that's kind of drilled in your head, it's really hard to switch gears. Like you put that glove on and you're immediately another person. But yeah, it was super fun. And we'd go to the park side. I'm just like getting really nostalgic thinking about it, eating the tater tots. I got to know them through that. But then, you know, as artists, they're really amazing. They work as part of a collaborative team called Bonanza with Conrad Guevara, who is recently returned from LA back to the Bay Area. Shout out to Conrad. And as a co-director of the Royal Nonsuch Gallery that I co-directed with Liz and two other artists, Dana Hemingway and Zoe Talaporis, we curated them into a screening series where for a mere $5,000, we helped produce their film and three other films and do two sold-out shows at the Roxy as part of this project. And um, their film was kind of this like sci-fi futuristic movie about people who could text by looking through a lens in their eye and it would kind of pop up in front of their face. And I just heard on the radio yesterday that like this is a real thing now that people can do that or like it pops up on the mirror or maybe it was in a new movie and they're saying how it's a new technology that actually is like in development. So anyway, it was very prescient, especially if you live in California where water is always kind of coming and going. But anyway, um, so, you know, as artists themselves, they do their own individual work, but they've also collaborated a lot on projects together, you know, mostly about being a lesbian couple. And so they've done like a food blog called Les Eat Out. And then during the pandemic, they called Les Eat In because you couldn't really go out. And then more recently, now that they are parents, they started a podcast called Lesbian Moms all about their adventures in queer parenting. So when I heard that, I had to have them on the podcast and find out more about them. So we talk all about that and just, you know, the state of being gay in America and, you know, queer representation in the media. And then finally, we finish off with a couple of fun little ghost stories just because it is a woo-woo podcast. But yeah, so if you enjoy the podcast, please share with your friends, subscribe, rate, review, Give us a little five-star love. 
Um, follow us on Instagram at the Sidewoo. And, you know, thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoy. I just was listening to some of your recent episodes of your podcast, Lesby Moms. And I was like crying because I just finished the one about Lana, like the birth process. And I was like, when you said like Lindsay was crying, I'm like, oh my God, now I'm going to cry. <laughs> it was so sweet. But I don't want to jump ahead. So, but anyway, thank you for joining. Thanks for having us. We're excited to be here. The first burning thing that I wanted to talk about was Lindsay when you first met her, Lana eats clementines with the peels on and you were like, who's this weirdo? <laughs> and not even just clementines, like any citrus. All citrus. Well, really? Lemons, but like orange peels. <laughs> really? Yes. Oh, yeah. My, my dad does it that way. Like when he eats an orange, he doesn't like peel it. He'll like bite into it. <laughs> Oh my God, that's so quirky. What? I didn't even know you were allowed to do that. Yeah. I'll, I did Google it and it looks like clementines are not toxic. Yeah. I mean, I've been doing it forever. I don't, I mean, <laughs> I'm still here. But yeah, Lana definitely noticed me right away. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who's this weirdo? Yeah, weirdo. Yeah, we met at, we met at San Francisco Art Institute. R.I.P. So sad that it is gone. R.I.P. Yeah. Sarah, you went there too, right? I did. I went for like two years in undergrad. Right. Yeah. But we were before you guys, probably. Yeah. We missed each other. Uh, we went there for grad school. We got our MFAs. And both me and Lana were in the same critique class our first year. Yeah. And we weren't, we were just like, we weren't even friends. Yeah, we but like I that. was That's like, so funny. Yeah. <laughs> but we definitely noticed each other and definitely noticed Lindsay because in our critique class she had the most shocking work that I had like ever seen. Yeah, I was really <laughs> Oklahoma where I went to undergrad. Oh, that's so funny. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so she had like made this work with double exposures of images of her orifices. Right. Yeah. On top of like entry points to the city. And so with my parents in that with her parents. Oh, also. really? Like, okay. I think you left that out in your podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in front of the Golden Gate Bridge. Oh my God. Um was this in new genres or which program were what class were you taking? We were in... This was just a graduate critique class, I think. Oh, okay. Yeah. Who was... It was it Francis... Was McCormick. McCormick. Oh, really? Who's yeah. like a printmaker, right? <laughs> She's a painter, painter I think. Yeah. Oh, is she? Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, an SFAI, because it's like kind of multidisciplinary approach, you're sort of in critique classes with people that are outside of your discipline. So I was a yeah. filmmaker. Lana was a painter, but we were in the same critique but yeah, so I called this project Points of Entry. And so it I superimposed with a Bolex camera my parents, who were my points of entry into the world. Oh, right. Okay. Points of entry to San Francisco. So I think I did Twin Peaks, Golden Gate Bridge, the Bay Bridge. Uh, All the hits. Images, the three entry points into my body. So, you know, like vaginal, 
my butt and my mouth. And I, you know, when I think about this, I cringe because this is like bad art. Like this yeah. is like super like high concept, but oh, like overly concepted art. Um, but definitely like indicative of like the kind of stuff you do in grad school. Cause I feel like grad school is all about like, oh, you gotta have like this meaning or this heavy concept behind your work. You can't But just... it also has to be kind of like sexualized or like really edgy yeah. and like show some kind of forbidden part of your body. Yes. I, sure. I definitely made work like that too. It was like my second degree. So it kind of had that energy of like I've been working my way up to this moment to really like make some crazy work where it's kind of like Martha Rosler domestic objects, but kind of twisted, you know, and I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> I was making like quite the opposite work, though, of like heavy palette paintings of trees. Oh, amazing. And how do people respond to that? Um, Well, so... Not that great. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say. <laughs> okay, so this is one thing we should say is that they were selling. Lana was selling like a ton oh, of shit. And, you know, it was like aesthetically super beautiful. And they were yeah. like the technique was high. But like it's funny because grad school like makes you not or at they least didn't... SFAI. It's like you can't just be a good painter. You have to yeah. have this like intensity behind your work. Uh-huh. It's a... Uh, valuing just like beauty wasn't like high on the list in grad school so or just SFA because I took a bunch of new genres classes and had like the audacity to show some like colorful abstraction and I have like never had a worse critique in my life you know like just with people who wanted to like spit on me basically so I I get what you might have gone through with that who was your professor Sarah it was Bob Linder so it was just not the right room I didn't read the room on that one you know but I had just done this like painting intensive with Joan Greenbaum and so I was thinking a lot about the way she was using like shapes and stuff and so I was excited to kind of like explore that language and I showed a bunch of them and they were just like it doesn't even look like you're mixing the color you know just stuff that people who don't paint like right. they don't even know what they're talking about but they just like said it all and I was like okay this is a bad idea. <laughs> but going back to yeah. that class was kind of like our first class together where we kind of knew who each other was. And that was a shocking entry to getting to know Lindsay. But you guys have since collaborated. So I feel like that introduction to your creative minds is maybe like an important piece of the puzzle. Like you kind of get to know how is this person thinking and... Yeah, these images must have really turned Lana on to me. Sure. <laughs> Understandably. As that summer, Lana was on like the like the graduate art gallery committee. Mm. And, and there basically wasn't a show scheduled. So Lana and Lana was like the only one, I think, on the committee that was actually a fine arts major. Like the other ones were curatorial studies. Mm. So like, Lana organized a show. And so Lana invited me to be in the show and also Conrad Guevara who is the third in Bonanza we are a trio the three of us have this art practice that we've been doing for oh 10 years now yeah um, but this was the start of it so she invited both of us I think she just really liked well I think she liked me she had a crush on me and then she liked <laughs> Conrad's work 
<laughs> uh, we got to spend like a whole week at the Swell Gallery, which was the graduate gallery, oh, yeah. just making the work for the show. And and we just naturally collaborated on that show together and had so much fun. And we the show opened and everyone really liked the work because it sort of was like talking to each other and kind of like it almost seemed as though it was one artist, but then mm-hmm. separate disciplines. And so that's what started Bonanza. Oh, cool. Yeah, because Bonanza does have this real like fluidity around it. Like you definitely don't know whose hand is doing what in in the collaborations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So and that was kind of the first collaborative project we did together and kind of has been collaborating on creative things has been kind of like a central point in our relationship since and i would say yeah the baby's like the biggest collaboration yet (laughs) right yeah the co-creation of a life yes continually co-creating this but we've had lots of other little collaborative projects along the way yeah we had a food blog called les eat out it was les eat out when we ate out and then when we cooked it was les eat in okay cute Mm -hmm. which i miss i think we need to bring it back it was like a instagram blog uh but you know it had some hype around it yeah i remember that coming out because that was like a little bit right pre-pandemic and then you did lesie and during the pandemic yeah and how did tender gardener i felt like tender gardener was like right around that same time it was it was kind of in the background 2019 I was getting everything kind of geared up but scared to quit my day job and then when the pandemic hit I really my job so I was like okay it's time now or never let's just do it and that happened to be sort of the right thing at the right time because everyone all of a sudden wanted houseplants wow (laughs) and had all this extra energy to like really take care of them and it was a great focus also during that time to just be having a which the tinder gardener has been a little bit more front forward facing as my project but Lindsay has definitely been integral collaborator in helping me and supporting me through that yeah and the tender gardener is lana's plant business just for those who don't know yeah it's a plant shop but lana now is doing more small landscape kind of plant design projects uh, yeah you but- did a whole yard that you posted about right yeah so I've done it I love house plants but I really love gardening and so mm-hmm. I've been because I'm just a small business I've been able to sort of pivot it towards doing more like landscape design and projects like that yeah uh, and I actually wrote a book this past year well, I heard that on the podcast that you got like a book deal and that's when you saw the first rainbow as yeah. you were driving south. So uh, w- really quick, what is that? Um, so it's a book on container gardens. It's mm, like a cool. book and that'll come out in 2024, like in May. Oh, amazing. And sorry, did you say who's publishing it? Um, Artisan Books. Okay. Are they Bay Area? Oh, New York. Oh, yeah, New York. Cool. Oh, that's so exciting. When you guys were looking at art schools, what was the deciding factor around going to SFAI? 
San Francisco probably was my deciding factor because I had gone into SAIC. Oh, yeah. Um, which, in retrospect, that's probably a better school. I know. I was like, program. no no comment. <laughs> but um, you were obviously supposed to go to SAI. But... but I went to Chicago to visit, and Chicago was cold. And I, I mean, I had been living in Vermont where I had gone to undergrad mm. and stayed up there for a couple of years after undergrad. And I loved Vermont, but it was really cold. And San Francisco, when I visited, I mean, it's so charming. It was maybe even more charming in 2010, um, just kind of before the techies took over, kind of. Or they were here, but like it wasn't, it was a different. It was less intense. Yeah. Things were not as expensive. It was a little bit grimier, more artist-led. And I had such an amazing time. And also SFAI has such a beautiful campus, the Chestnut Street. I know. I got sold on that too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sold me. And just wanting, I knew I wanted to move to San Francisco more for cultural diversity. Yeah. But yeah, I looked you at came from, yeah, you came from Oklahoma. Yeah. For Oklahoma. Okay. Yeah. But I looked at. SFAI, Mills, and CCA when I came out to visit, and I got like lost on the bus trying mm-hmm. to get to Mills, and I was like, no, this is too hard. <laughs> and then, yeah, it was really the painting studios at Chestnut that sold me, but I didn't quite realize my studio would be in the third street. Action, the third street. American Industrial Building, right? That's what yeah. it was called. But I had a great time. Yeah, I mean, I don't regret going to SFA. I, obviously, that's where I met Lana, and I had such an incredible experience. But it it is interesting now when people talk to me, younger people talk to me about going to art school, especially going to grad school. Mm. I am kind of like, mm, be, don't get into debt. <laughs> totally. I know. I'm like, do you really need it? I feel like there was a period where you d- it was starting to get like you didn't need it to teach or anything. But then now people are saying again, like that they feel their career is getting held up because they don't have the MFA. But I'm like, you know, minus a couple hundred thousand dollars, you could probably do a lot with your life that would make up for it. I don't know. And it's I feel like even if you have your MFA, teaching jobs are kind of hard to get but then Mm -hmm. get them they don't pay super well Mm -hmm. hard to get like a 10-year track position yeah because I that was one of the reasons why I got my MFA or I was like oh I can teach and I have taught a little bit but you don't get that much so it's like I mean I have a day job that pays a lot more so anyways yeah and so how like has been dating and being a couple like I mean you're in San Francisco so it's like a liberal and now Oakland like it's a very liberal bubble and like queer friendly but like how has that evolved just because we're going to talk about queer parenting being in the world as a gay couple like how has that been for you guys in terms of just feeling comfortable both in the Bay Area and then outside well I think that we're committed to the Bay Area in a lot of ways because it is a place where we feel comfortable and it's not something that I even think about when I'm out in the world. 
when yeah. we're together but here in the bay yeah here in the bay but then if i if we go back to arkansas where i grew up like no we would never even consider moving back there because one just if it was us as a couple it doesn't feel comfortable and as welcoming and as safe of a place but now especially with a baby like I wouldn't want her to ever grow up in a place where she could possibly made to be to feel like there's something wrong with her family like I don't want her to feel that way so yeah the bay area is great because it's inclusive and Mm -hmm. and when we say bay area I mean, we're we're talking about like kind of Oakland, Berkeley, San Francisco. I would say even when you get out towards Fremont, things get a little dicey. We definitely have had a few strange situations in like Nevada City area. That's not quite the Bay, but I mean, there are places in California where we've definitely been and I don't feel super safe to like hold Lana's hand or like kiss and then when you have a baby and you're like obviously like a queer family it feels even more intense so yeah we love the bay area it's really expensive here but i i feel like in a lot of ways we're committed to being here the only other place i feel like we would consider going is like the northeast i'm from dc but we it is interesting because when we are elsewhere in the world or or sorry elsewhere in the united states it feels very bizarre yeah and i feel like your work is so much about like being out you know and like creating representation and that's been like something that we've talked about with a couple of the past guests about just this idea that like especially like queer women are not being represented in media and do you feel like has that evolved like since you've been you know creating like lezzied out and now your new podcast do you feel like there's been more as you know you've kind of like in the past 10 years I don't know I feel like there's been a lot of progress but then it's hard to track and you can't track it in a straight line because it, then it's gone back you know 20 years 60 years like rows overturned for sure yeah um I would say in popular culture and in media, yeah, it's always something you're kind of looking for, but there isn't a ton of, and they did just have the reboot of the L word, Jen Q. <laughs> okay, cool. But, um, You know, we're very problematic still and just showed areas. What was, uh, yeah, what was you saying? The show you love to hate and the show you hate to love. We were doing screenings at El Rio. I... I don't work at El Rio anymore, but I worked there for a very long time, a bar in San Francisco, which is a queer bar, also a neighborhood bar. Its 45th birthday is today. Whoa, that's wild. Um, But we would do screenings. Yeah, HPD. We would do screenings of the L Word reboot. Um, But it's funny because I feel like the L Word is, now it has been canceled again, but the L Word in in some ways it's so interesting to me because it's so important for that representation but it's so like it's not done properly and it's also just the only thing that's really out there in popular popular culture where i feel like gay men have a lot more representation in media Mm -hmm. 
And there are some other ones for queer women. I'm not saying there aren't. I love the show Vita that was on Stars, but there's not a ton. There's a lot less for women, queer women. Yeah. I mean, like, kind of when I was talking to Libby about it specifically, I was like racking my brain to think of like popular culture representation of like, you know, lesbian families too. And I think like friends had like a gay couple where they did have a child, but you know, that was like, I agree that I feel like there's so many more like male gay couples or like male gay relationships or, I mean, how do you, not to put this all on your shoulders, but like, it seems like it's something that you're tackling within your art practice. Like, how do you envision kind of like taking up more space or like the, the taking back power as like a couple, you know, even if you're in a space, maybe that you don't feel comfortable or is it something that you're just not really willing to risk with like a child now or well I would say as far as yeah going to a place like moving to Arkansas and being a person who would like lead the way that doesn't like I'm grateful for the people that do want to do that and there are sure lesbian families there and queer families that are doing that and that's hard and we kind of talked about that and we're just like no like (laughs) we can't carry that torch yeah i think i just don't i mean when i go to little rock now this is pre-baby and we go out in downtown little rock and we're walking down the street we get cat called or i mean it's not cat call it's more like dyke but like we get calls and i feel like I often joke, but I think it's very much true. Like, I'm like, I'm going to be part of a hate crime just because I'm more visibly uh, queer looking. Um, So, yeah, I think that I don't want to, to carry that torch. I'm very happy for people that I mean, I'm I really support people that do decide to do that. And there's other people that just don't have the choice. Right. Like they mm-hmm. don't have the money to move to the coast and they're queer and they're in the south or in the midwest or even in parts of california or parts of the east coast that are just not queer friendly and they just live their lives and that's incredible i do feel like the podcast that we started lesbian moms is sort of about representation obviously not on like we're not celebrities but yet <laughs> just kidding <laughs> that stemmed from even here in the bay area like becoming a parent when you are queer is really tricky and difficult and not there's not a lot of information out there and Mm -hmm. it's interesting since we started that podcast we have uh, made friends with some people that are in the same boat as us like queer parent or queer people who want to have a baby and they're like how do I do it Mm -hmm. Um, and so I feel like that is like a small way of us trying to increase visibility or or really share information hmm yeah create a resource yeah because when we were wanting to start a family we didn't really have anyone that we were looking to to as a role model or example like we know a couple yeah. of other lesbian yeah. or queer parents in the art world or in the bay area but these aren't necessarily like close friends or people that we necessarily felt like we could be like oh 
how would you do it? <laughs> Give us the intimate details. Yeah, and, right. Like you, you can't know. just be like, oh, how was that for you? You actually need to know some really personal logistical. Yeah. So a lot of info we got from straight parents about fertility and mm-hmm. pregnancy and birth from our friend our good friends yeah that from are, close friends yeah. and we were also kind of the first of our friend group to our queer, our queer friend, friend group. group to have a baby mm. so that's hard in and of itself yeah i would say having a baby is definitely for us has definitely been pretty isolating a lot of our friends in the bay area queer or straight don't have kids and are not planning on having kids because it's really expensive or just their personal values don't line up with with having a family like that and that i support that but it is like we are going through this experience that is unrelatable to them in a lot of ways and so it has been lonely at times but then a lot of our friends that have babies are on the east coast so it's we've been connecting with them more in a strange way but we have a couple friends here too yes we that do we, that we rely on a lot that are parents oh that's cool have you been on like the mommy blogs or like chat groups at all i don't know if there's that kind of thing specifically for i have been actually (laughs) and i have a a cute little whatsapp chat with like a bunch of different moms that are have a baby or still pregnant and about to have a baby and that's cool yeah we've met up a few times and it's been nice to just like we throw out questions about breastfeeding or about nausea or all sorts of things that come up like we're able to just share and have a bunch of people be able to respond so I don't want to give away your whole podcast narrative because I feel like I want people to go and listen but you talk a lot about your decision to get pregnant and then also like the donor process you ended up working with a friend who had been a donor before so you kind of were able to sidestep some of the the usual donor like paperwork, I assume. But can you just talk a little bit about the process of like deciding to get pregnant? Because you had said like, you know, we were kind of thinking about it. And then the pandemic was just like the trigger, which I think for probably a lot of people it was. Yeah, I mean, we, I mean, we knew this, we've been together for 10 years, right? Yeah, we're going on 10 years this January. So we had obviously talked about what we envisioned for the future when we were dating and we both wanted to have children. So that was great because I do have some friends that are in relationships where one is really into having a kid and the other one's not so sure. Mm. Um, But we were on the same page about that. I think the pandemic happened and we were, were also just getting older. Like I just turned 39. Lana is... 37? Six. 36. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the older woman in the relationship. But yeah, it, it felt it. We talked about this on the podcast, our podcast, but it's hard. I don't, I personally don't feel like there's ever a perfect time to have a kid. I, at least for me, I feel like I would have always created excuses or reasons why we shouldn't do it. 
but it felt like we just needed to do it because that's what we wanted. Yeah. Would you say? For a few years, we kept kicking it down the road. But then, yeah, we got to the point where we were just like, well, I don't think we're ever going to be ready, whatever that means. Yeah. Any more so than we are now. So let's just try and see what happens. And yeah, you never know. (laughs) You went for it. Yeah. Was there ever a talk of adopting versus carrying? Like what was the decision around wanting to carry? Because that's actually like for me when I think about having a family like I think the body stuff would just be too much and like the trauma of birth like would be probably too much for me but I respect that and actually I'm really impressed by women who can do it and choose to do it um yeah I would say I wanted to carry but at the same time I also had this fear of my body changing and yeah I was so surprised that I actually really enjoyed being pregnant Mm. and like in some ways miss being pregnant. Oh, wait, why? Um, I don't know. You feel, I felt like just, you're superhuman. Yeah. I felt superhuman. I felt like my body was just being so incredible. I was taking really good care of myself in a way that felt good. And I don't, it's hard to really put a pinpoint on it, but there was, it's just such a special time and it it could be different with a second child because you already have a baby, but before you have a baby, it's just like, you're still living your life. Like, as an independent woman <laughs> yeah <laughs> but yeah you're like you have this kind of like little being inside of you that you're taking around with you and once you especially start feeling like kicking and things um it's just was really interesting but you were nerve I mean you wanted to carry yeah but you were nervous about how it would change your body yeah I was worried that my body would be like drastically different body after and it's not I was also so shocked about just how miraculously the body is pregnancy was just it was happening it wasn't like I was doing anything Mm. this baby was growing and that was mind-blowing but then in birth and labor, it was kind of the same. Like I wasn't doing anything. It's like the body was taking over. And then afterwards, like your body kind of just starts to heal itself in this miraculous way. That's wild. And it was so wild. I was like, I can't believe I just had a humongous belly with a baby inside me. And now my body's like going back to the pre like your body before you had a baby and obviously when the baby comes out your stomach shrinks some it was bizarre i will just say the change of your body and what your body can do is just like wow (laughs) superhuman yeah i think if for some reason lana did not want to carry i was on the fence about carrying i think i'd have a lot of body dysmorphia just if I was to carry and I I, like you like you said Sarah I think I similar am like freaked out about what my body would do 
So I think if Lana didn't want to carry, we probably would have leaned into adoption. But because she wanted to carry, we were like, well, let's try. And and yeah. we obviously weren't sure, like most people are, like what f- Lana's fertility would be like. And it ended up, she ended up being very fertile. You got pregnant the first time, right? Yes. Yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. That's also just And really... we feel super grateful that that it happened yeah. for us because we have so many friends who who struggle with fertility and do have to do IVF and other things. So Yeah. I guess I'm curious like how it was to watch like your wife go through it as a woman versus, you know, the like a heterosexual couple where the man is like kind of watching from afar and like that. I don't know, like, did you empathize at all with the cis male experience where they weren't involved in the pregnancy? I don't know, because I feel like there's this thing of like, you don't understand what it's like, but then to be the person who's more like the supporter, I think is the word you used in the podcast. Was there any frustration around that? Or like, you know, how, how did you feel being less actively a participant in that? Yeah. I would probably like it, honestly, because I wouldn't want to carry it all, but I'm right. just curious. <laughs> um, yeah, I haven't I haven't like thought a ton about that. I mean, it, it's interesting because when we talk about pregnancy, we always say we were pregnant. And I do feel like there is also this thing that they say that like the person who carries becomes a parent as soon as they get pregnant and the, right. the support parent or, or, you know, what's traditionally the man becomes a parent when the baby is born. And I do feel like that is true to some extent, but maybe because I'm a woman and, you know, maybe have, like you said, a little bit more empathy or just understand more like what women go through. I felt like I became a parent more like in the process of Lana being pregnant. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we had so many conversations. I assume straight couples also do this, but just about parenting styles or also about giving birth, you know, birth plans. And so you're, I felt actively like involved. I also am super grateful that Lana had an easy pregnancy. Mm. And that's why she loved being pregnant so much. Totally. But, you know, some people have a really hard time. Some people are really sick the whole time. If Lana had been experiencing that, I think there might have been more of a disconnect between us just because I am not experiencing that. Obviously, I would yeah. have been supportive of her. But, um, you know, it, it was almost like we didn't really change our lifestyle much when Lana was pregnant. We were going out a lot. Towards the end, we started or Lana started, you know, having a hard time being super active. But for most in of bed it, by eight. Yeah. <laughs> oh, funny. I would say another kind of on that same topic, though, is feeding the baby. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that being the support person and not the person breastfeeding, like from the beginning, we wanted to be able to give Francis a bottle so Lindsay could also take part in that. And has that gone well? Yes and no. I mean, yes, she takes a bottle. I She has at times refused the bottle, usually only for a day or so. She, which totally understandable, like prefers it straight from the source. 
And I do feel like there is a bond that Lana has with her with Francis because of breastfeeding and feeding in general that like I don't have as much. I know other parents who have maybe the support parent has done more feedings. Mm. Lana really loves breastfeeding. Oh, you um, do. Okay. So well, that's cool because I haven't heard that before. <laughs> like most people like hate it. <laughs> no, yeah, just- Lana loves it. So that's great. And that is like a really special time for her and Francis. Yeah, and I really so enjoy good. feeding Francis too, but I don't do it as much. So there is a little bit of a disconnect as the other parent in that scenario, which is, I think that just happens when you have a child. Mm-hmm. I think it sometimes it can shift later on. Yeah. Favoritism and, or it's more like parental preference is really strange. Or I'm learning more about it and how it works with children and different like- phases of development, like yeah. they go towards, yeah, the like the external one and then the domestic one. And then, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and then and then there's that. Like I'm out of the house more because my job requires me to be out more and Lana's home more often. But mm-hmm. yeah, we're figuring all that out. Yeah. Um, would you feel comfortable telling this story about when you knew that you were pregnant? Because it, it's such a like mystical moment. Sure. A woo-woo moment. Yeah, yeah. it's a woo-woo moment. So after you try you have like this two-week waiting window where you're waiting for like your missed period basically and it was like a day or two before I was supposed to get my period and I was driving down to Half Moon Bay like at six in the morning and it was kind of misty foggy but then like pockets of sunshine. And when I was going around this like one bend, this is where I saw the rainbow the prior time. Just going to step in and play a little excerpt from Lesbian Moms where Lana talks about the first sighting of the rainbow and then we'll go into their story about the pregnancy rainbows. I have a religious upbringing, Christian background. So I do still think, like, I don't think rainbows mean it's never going to flood again as we are living in global warming, so the earth might flood. But no, I thought this is a sign. Like, I know it's a sign. And the last time I had seen a rainbow was another trip down to Half Moon Bay wee hours of the morning when I got a book deal. And so the power of these damn rainbows, they signify beautiful things for me. It also, there's And it's very gay. (laughs) It's very gay. It's very gay. And there's also not a lot of rainbows that happen in the Bay Area. I saw three rainbows on my drive to Half Moon Bay that morning. And, And were they all like in the same area or one after another? I think I saw two, one maybe crossing the San Mateo Bridge, and then one at the same spot. And then when I got into Half Moon Bay, where the plant nursery is, I saw another rainbow. And I was like, this is a sign. I know I'm pregnant. That's this amazing. Is for sure. And then while I was in the plant shop or nursery, like buying plants, I started just feeling so nauseous and was like, okay, I don't usually feel this way. This is a strange feeling. What's going on? Yeah. And was kind of freaking out. And on the way back, 
home I called Lindsay and I was like I'm so nauseous mm-hmm. like I saw rainbows I think I'm pregnant <laughs> she was like I don't know like I'll go I went out and bought get pregnancy, pregnancy test but yeah, we waited till the, I think we waited a day because when we calculated from the two week wait, we were like, well, tomorrow it, it, it would be able to maybe tell more for sure. Yeah. And then, and then it was positive. positive. Oh my God. Yeah. But I really thought it was going to take us multiple tries. So yeah, I was blown away. Do you have a relationship to signs like that? Other than like you said, you saw a rainbow in that area when you got the book deal, but have you had kind of woo-woo? Do you have that type of interest or thing in your life otherwise? Both of you. Lindsay often says she has a sixth sense for things. <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah, that's kind of like an insight. We, um, oh, okay. We took, a third, we took like a trip and our luggage was lost and she had a sixth sense that it was <laughs> lost forever. And then... That night, it showed up at our door. <laughs> so my, my sixth sense was demystified. But I do think she is very intuitive when it comes to reading people. And like, that's what I meant. But I, but not situation. Not predicting luggage. <laughs> um, I would say I get really into setting intentions. Lana mm. is also really wow. good at this. We lit a lot of candles for this um, baby. Yeah. And- oh, wow. What color is like any specific kind of candle or? We had a fertility candle that we mm. lit. Some, someone gave that, that to Someone us. gave to us like when we were conceiving. Um, Amazing. We, I usually get candles from that company, House of Intuition. Oh, okay. Um, I think they're in LA. Yeah. yeah. LA company. Yeah. Oh, cool. But I'll get like, you know, road opener or... <laughs> success um but what i like to do is i like to write intentions down on like a piece of paper and slip it underneath the candle oh yeah totally kind of almost like meditate slightly when you burn the candle um lana though i would say got really into writing intentions down maybe five or six years ago and when lana writes intentions down usually they come true or you you usually accomplish them Mm-hmm. it's kind of incredible oh um, that's cool more manifestation yeah do you have like a specific ritual that you do when you write them or or like a time of the month or no i think that this is something that like i've gone in waves of being better about like sitting down and journaling and writing yeah periods where i'm not as good at it and i think when i'm in that that's really like fruitful but usually it's more like at the a year end you know mm. i will for sure do that yeah for the new years for the new year but you do it sometimes in the middle yeah of the year. i love the artist way mm-hmm. that book. oh yeah me too that's been very helpful do you do morning pages that's what i i was doing that and that really is what brought to life the tinder gardener Oh, really? No way. How did that come up? Um, so I was writing. Well, I had a show at the time, painting show, that was also called The Tinder Gardener. And I was thinking a lot about these paintings and spending a lot of time gardening and was 
maybe spending more time gardening than painting. <laughs> oh, interesting. Um, yeah, I would say, oh, are you going to go to the studio? And you'd be like, I don't know. It's so nice outside. I might just go outside and garden. <laughs> yeah. And you kept, that was kind of like becoming your preference. Yeah. Mm. Once I just interject, Lana had a job where she was a personal assistant. Personal assistant. And you were feeling kind of stuck. You had been there for a while. You, you'd been doing that for five or six years. And I think you were looking for something else i needed an escape and you obviously you wanted to be a artist which i mean but you were think starting to like kind of think maybe well, the morning pages yeah helped me come to terms with like other interests in a way and yeah be more open and accepting of like other creative outlets and because i had been so much a painter my identity was a painter and here I was in the garden all the time <laughs> and I had yeah like that year I'd had a bunch like kind of a bunch of shows for myself at that time and I still love painting I think if I had an open air studio I might be there more <laughs> because mm -hmm. it was always yeah. work yeah to go on a beautiful day when we have so many beautiful days here and not see the sun yeah i understand that yeah i feel like that's something that i think about a lot is this like identification with your creative practice and like how in the mar art market you're kind of being asked <clears throat> to like define yourself a certain way and then that's the brand that people will know you by so that they can buy with confidence or something and i don't think like when you start thinking of yourself that way you realize it's really a market thing but it feels like that's the secret behind it all is that like oh it's so you can be like a financially viable commodity in a way but yeah I think I feel like I've gone through phases of that where it feels so scary to take that leap but then you kind of like open so many doors for yourself going into something new so I always turn back to the morning pages when I'm like needing a pivot creatively or anything. Lindsay, do you have any like ritual practices or anything? No, nothing I do regularly. I mean, I, yeah, like I will light candles or occasionally or meditate, but and I wish I could say, oh, I meditate every day, but I don't. Oh, one thing that actually I started doing, and this is in the pandemic, because I started running. Oh, uh, cool. And I've really, it, which is funny because I hated running. I was super athletic in high school, but since then I haven't really done anything. And I don't know, I found running really meditative. Mm. Just sort of like having this time that's just for me. Yeah. And so I run probably two or three times a week. So I'll go on phases where I'll be running like almost every day. And then I'll go back to just like, oh, I only got one run in this week. But it's been really great for me. Cool. Well, to wrap things up, I wanted to see if you guys have any ghost stories. We do. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That's one. Do you have one? And I have a small one. Okay. Well, we'll start with the small and end with a bang. Okay. I studied abroad in Florence. I was friends with the chauffeur to the heir of the Medici family. 
who lived in the tower. What? And was at the Medici Tower in his like apartment, which was on the lowest floor. And it was late one night. We were hanging out. And he all of a sudden turns to the window that's open and starts speaking in Punjab out to the window. He was Indian. Um, And I was like, who are you talking to? And he was like, oh, this guy comes and visits like all the time. And he's like, what you're doing here? And (laughs) I was like, and there was no one there. Right. So you're like, are you totally cuckoo? Yeah. And this person was also kind of into woo-woo stuff. And Well, you'd hope because otherwise he is totally <laughs> nuts, you know? <laughs> and I was just immediately like, I tell him to go away and I don't want to like talk to him, basically. <laughs> and, and then that was kind of it. And I was like, all right, I think I'm going to go. <laughs> But yeah, I kind of, I shut that down, but he was definitely talking to a ghost. Wow. And that was the only time he did that? Yeah. That's wild. I wonder if he just sees ghosts all the time then. Yes. It's what it seemed like. Wow. Yeah. Cause that's intense to be able to just like, you know, turn over and like, there's the person that you are going to talk to now. What's the other one? The New York cabin. Oh, God. do we have time? Yeah, we do actually. Well, this so was when I was. Well, pregnant. this is okay. Oh, no. this is Willa's house oh. and Danny. See if I got yeah. one ending us outing there, goes. We can bleep out her name if we need okay. to. Okay, so this is a friend's house. Oh. Yeah, so we'd stayed there once before and this was like after a new year's trip when we visited friends and we always watch scary movies and we had watched hereditary hereditary no <laughs> no i do not like scary movies at no. all this cabin is a really old cabin that had similar like wood arched rafted ceilings and that's where the bedroom is oh my god it was like a house where like a lot of I want to say she said like fishermen's would drink beer and hang out, meet up. Upstate New York. Upstate New York. Okay. Um, And so had a really hard time sleeping that night. And we got so scared that we like in the middle of the night grabbed the comforter and just like (laughs) ran up to their house in the middle of the night and like crashed in this other in zone. this other zone oh my god not too scared yeah we were hearing noises and stuff and yeah there was probably mice but there were some mice so that's like the next day that's what our friends told us oh it probably was just mice yeah. so we were mm. kind of like, i don't know so then okay and couple Wait, years- what kind of noises like scurries yeah okay, okay. Freak- but that's still disconcerting having Freak. had my it was more like Wood creaking. Like, it almost sounded like people were coming up the stairs and everything was, like, creaky and wooden. It's creepy, yeah. But they thought it was mice. So we said, okay, maybe it was mice. So a couple years later, this was, like, last year, last October, I was pregnant. We are coming through that area again. We 
asked to crash with them and they put us back up in this it's called the lily cabin they have a big house on their property and then they have two small cabins so this okay. is okay so this is a bigger cabin but it's a very nice um, cabin but and haunted yeah this is like won't that oh i've had it cleared twice oh okay so, so i was kind of like so they yeah. know it's haunted or they uh-huh. or they maybe have heard from because other people have stayed there they were running an art residency out of this place for a while i'm assuming that they right. had heard other stories other stories or had maybe just from us assumed well and i feel like the friend in question is pretty sensitive so maybe like they are like sensing things you know yeah and so yeah they said it had been cleared so i was like okay well lindsay is still scared and this is <laughs> her general emma when we were traveling is to like pop a benny <laughs> a benadryl oh i was like what okay no, yeah benadryl. Benadryl. great pass out but i'm pregnant so i can't take anything no. you abandoned her yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And I'm like, I took two Benadryls. <laughs> Shut up. Oh, funny. I was so yeah. nervous. Lana was acting like she wasn't. She was like, it's fine. It's been good. I was trying to be optimistic and to like not allow that kind of energy in because I'm not trying to experience that. And so I pass out. Lindsay's passed out. I'm watching Great British Baking Show on the laptop to try and get cheerful vibes. And then. I want to say the lights flicker. Really? Yeah. Oh, they did. They did. Like after I'd watched the show, maybe in the night, the like the light comes. Because you, you woke me up and said the the light just flicker, and I Lights was like, flickered. And then and I was like laying there, like on the bed, and I had the feeling of like one of our cats had jumped on the bed. Oh wow! And speaking of a little yeah. tail walking by. <laughs> But it was oh, like, I felt this like weight on the bed and I was like, what the fuck? And I also feel like I was hearing the wood creaking sound. And Lindsay was passed out and I was like, okay, like the only thing that I knew to do was this thing that I've learned in meditation, which was like casting an aura around. Smart. Yeah. I cast this like ginormous thick gold aura just as wide as the state of New York <laughs> and like all of the energy left and it was like peaceful after that oh amazing but it was intense it was intense yeah well because if they're like getting on your bed and haven't done something already you know like you're kind of like they're not like trying to say hi or like give you a little present you're like what what's up like what are you gonna do now you know that's a little too close for comfort it's too much well thank you for sharing that that is terrifying but you have some inner energy work skills it sounds like well thank you guys so much for being on the podcast i will put link in show notes to lesbian moms as well as your other creative projects and like images on Instagram. But is there anything coming up you want to promote? We just dropped episode four of Lesby Moms, the newborn haze. Oh, hey. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we are releasing the podcast every two weeks. Oh, cool. That's kind of our big creative 
project right now. Nice. Other than parenting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, thanks for having us. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. 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 That's all for this week's episode. Thanks for side-wooing with us. We release episodes every other week on Thursday. You can listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Please rate, follow, subscribe, and review our podcast for good karma points. Until we meet again in the side room.